Heavenly Father, Lord, we, um, we love you. And we're grateful that we can gather. And even in these small groups or online, Lord, or whatever the case may be, that we can gather together as the body of Christ. And that we can hear from your word. And that you're still in control. And the church is still the church. We pray that you would bless this time as I teach, Lord, and you would bless just the viewing of this message. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, I have, um, I've traveled a, a fair bit, and I've, I've been through some of the, some of the biggest airports in the world. Atlanta is, I think, the most traveled airport in the world. I've been through Tokyo and, um, and Shanghai Airport, LAX, JFK, Houston. And I've also been through some of the smallest airports in the world. Some airports that don't even seem like real airports. I've landed in airports that seem like little driveways. It's hard to believe that jets can even land there. I remember in the um, early 90s, I flew into Yakutsk in Siberia, Russia. And um, so I flew from LAX up to Anchorage. And it was pretty crazy. It was, um, we were flying on Aeroflot, the Russian airline. And um, at that time, a, uh, a FAA warning had gone out not to fly on Aeroflot because there had been so many weird things going on. Just the month before that, an Aeroflot plane crashed because the pilot let his daughter fly the plane. And um, weird stuff like that was going on. And so I found myself on this Aeroflot flight, and we're going into Anchorage. And if you've ever flown into Anchorage, I have a couple times, and um, crazy turbulence. There's the mountains there, and the, and the air currents coming off the sea. And I remember we were flying in, it just felt like the plane was dropping, and like turning in the air. <laughs> And kids are screaming, literally people are throwing up in the bags, and it was, it was kind of scary. And so we leave Anchorage, we fly over the Pacific and land in Haborosk, Russia, which is kind of a hub city for the east coast of Russia. And then, and that was, there, no, no, nothing eventful. And then we went from Haborosk north to Yakutsk, which is a very remote region in northeast Siberia. And so we left the jet and got on this big old rickety turboprop plane. And it was, the best way that I can describe it is a flying chicken bus. That's exactly what it felt like. It was the sketchiest flight I have ever been on. And I remember the airport there in Yakutsk. At the time, <coughs> how small and dingy the airport was. And I remember in the lobby there, like the departure lobby, you know, everybody's all in this one spot together. Everybody's wearing their big Russian fur hats because it's winter in Siberia. And, and, and I remember that, that there, were only, there was only one terminal at the time, and there were only two gates, right? There were only two, two ways to leave the terminal, two options for departure. Remember, in the previous weeks, in the last section we looked at in 2 Peter, Peter is describing basically the end of all things. 
Remember he talked about the, the coming of the day of the Lord. Because He says, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. We spent some time talking about that, about that final judgment. Remember what Peter also said in 2 Peter 3.13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter says, sure, judgment is coming. The end of the world is, is drawing nigh. But we have this great <coughs> and glorious promise. We have something that we're, that we're waiting for. Something that, that gives us hope. Remember back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter reminds us that we are sojourners and pilgrims. He says this is not our home. This isn't our, our, our final destination. We're only passing through this life on the way to the next. We're only passing through on, on the way to eternity. <coughs> and that's true. For every single person in history. Not just for the believer. Right? This life is just a layover. It's just the passing through to whatever our eternal destination might be. Just like that airport in Siberia. Right? There's two gates. And the gate you use depends on the ticket you purchase. And that's the exact idea here. We're, we're passing through this life, and this life is, is very temporal. And, and where we go next, where we spend our eternity, it depends on the ticket that we have, right? It's, it's heaven or hell. And it really is that simple, right? There, there's only two destinations for man. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. But the good news is, you get to choose your destination. And Peter goes on from here. Verse 14, where we pick up the text today, and we'll finish out the chapter. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. Peter says, look, guys. I know you guys are waiting for what comes next. I know you guys are, are waiting for eternity. Right? In the meantime, he says, while you're waiting for the good promises of the Lord to be fulfilled, in the meantime, do these things. Be diligent. What does diligent mean? To be faithful. To be consistent and, and, and be, be, be focused is kind of the idea there. So Peter says, look, be focused, be consistent and working to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And so Peter mentions two things here that we need to strive for. Holiness first, right? Sanctification, being set apart. We see that there. And secondly, being at peace. And so I want to address both of those things. While, while we are here, while we are waiting for eternity, Peter says that we're to work to 
towards holiness. We're in the world. We're, we're, we're here for the time being. But Peter says, look, just because you're here, just because you're in the world, <coughs> it doesn't mean that you have to let the world saturate you. It doesn't mean that you have to let the world stain you. It doesn't mean you have to, to take on the odor of the world, as it were. As you know, I have a little baby, and she's four months old, and she is just this amazing, precious, sweet little thing. And as soon as I get, get home, I, you know, I can't wait to, to pick her up and, and to cuddle her and to embrace her. And it's a funny thing, as soon as I pick her up, a lot of times I can tell who is holding her recently. She either smells like my wife's lotion. Or she smells like my, my mom's perfume that she wears all the time. Right? She sort of absorbs that. And that's sort of the, the natural consequences of interaction, right? Now, a couple of days ago, I was at Winco. <clears throat> and, you know, it's pretty normal now to see people walking around with the surgical mask. Or sometimes they have the, the, the little more comprehensive mask. Sometimes I've seen people wear, like, painters, respirators. But I was there at Winco, and I saw a guy wearing a hazmat suit. And I'm not even joking. Full-on hazmat suit. Duct tape and his cuffs and everything. Boy, and, and people were there taking pictures of him. And He wasn't taking any chances with Mr. COVID. And, you know, it's kind of funny to us a little. And maybe it shouldn't be funny. Maybe it's really what we should all be doing. I don't know. But, this is sort of the idea that Peter is communicating here spiritually. It's sort of the same idea that Jesus talked about in John 17, 6. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We're here. We're, we're in the world, but we're no longer part of the world system. Remember what Paul told the church in Colossae? One of my favorite verses, Colossians 1.13. <clears throat> he has delivered us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and transferred us, thank you, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, look, your citizenship, it used to be in this world. Back in the day, he says, but we've been delivered from that domain. We've been delivered from that kingdom. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. He says that our, our citizenship has been transferred. It's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're, we're, we're no longer citizens of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in eternity. And so Peter says, or Paul says, we need to start looking towards the next world. We need to start looking towards eternity. And Peter here is saying the same thing, <clears throat> that we need to be sanctifying ourselves now, that we, need to be, that we need to be set apart from the world, that we need to be different from the world, that we need to be holy. And I've made this distinction before. We need to be holy, but not holier than thou. Right? Those are two different things that, 
that very often get mixed up and confused by the world and by the church. Right? And they're completely different. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18. He says there was this, this Pharisee, and he goes to the temple. And he's there at the temple, he's praying. And this is what he said in his prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. And at the same time, there's a tax collector there. And he falls on the ground, and it says that he, he beat his chest, and he rent his clothes, and he, and he repented of his sins. And Jesus says, look, it was the repentant sinner, not the self-righteous jerk, that went home justified before the Lord. True holiness recognizes that we can do nothing good apart from the Lord. True holiness strives to do the right thing out of love for God, not to try and impress people or even trying to impress God. We, we, we strive to put to death our flesh. We strive to put to death our sinful desires because we love Jesus and because we want to be more like him. We strive to put to death our, our sinful desires because we love Jesus and we recognize that sin only, that sin always brings death and destruction. The second thing that Peter mentions here is peace. He says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, that is, holy, and at peace. And we talked a little bit last week about peace, about finding peace in the midst of hard times, about experiencing peace in the midst of uncertainty. And, and let me share this. That peace of God that we talked about, that peace of God that surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds, that peace, the peace of God, only comes after we have peace with God. And I hope you can understand that distinction, particularly if you don't know the Lord yet. Natural man, the Bible teaches, is at war with God. Scripture teaches that man is at enmity with God, that our, our sinful nature and our sinful actions have set us at odds with the holy God. But through the atoning sacrifice of Christ, at the cross of Calvary, our sins have been paid for. <clears throat> we have the ability to experience peace with God and the peace of God. And it's sort of that, that two-gate thing that we talked about. Right? Everyone is going through one of those two gates. Everyone is either going through the pearly gates or the gates of hell. But as I said, the good news is we get to pick. We get to pick which path we want to take. And once you choose the Lord, once you make peace with God, once we're walking in obedient submission to God, 
we begin to experience his peace. And look, I know that the world is crazy right now. There are so many unknowns all around us. Nobody really knows how serious this thing is. No one really knows the the political moves that this thing is going to spawn. No one knows how how the economy is going to respond. So many people all around us are asking, am I going to have a job next week? Am I going to be able to pay my rent or my mortgage? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? And it's very easy for us to let fear and panic and anxiety begin to consume us. And as I said the other day, from an eternal perspective, nothing has changed from last week or last month to today. Right? God still sits on the throne. He is still sovereign, and he still rules over all creation. Nothing can touch us except that which he allows to touch us. And he won't allow anything to touch us that isn't for our eternal best interest. And that, guys, is absolute glory. That's the good news, isn't it? That's that's gospel. God is in control. And he doesn't allow anything to happen to us that it isn't going to be in our eternal best interest. And that doesn't mean that we might not still experience trials and struggles or that we're not going to get sick. I know that several people in our church already have this virus, and it looks like a few more are probably have it or awaiting test results, right? Just because we're Christians, just because we have the Holy Spirit, that doesn't automatically make us immune from disease. That doesn't automatically protect us from all the trials and tribulations around us. The the, the promise of God isn't that he's going to remove us from all trials. The promises of God are that he will see us through trials. Right? In fact, Peter is talking to Timothy and he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Right? That's not a promise to, to, to remove us from persecution and trials. That's a promise that we're going to see them. But he's going to see us through them. And, and that's an important distinction. Because so often people are taught that, that if you're a Christian, you're never going to be sick. And you're never going to go through hard times. And life is going to be great. And as soon as those trials and hard times come, we begin to question our faith. Because the things that we built our faith on are crumbling. But the thing is, those things are never promised in Scripture. And we need to understand that the Scripture never promised that we weren't going to go through hard times. It promises that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is going to be with us in the midst of those hard times. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. I love the heart of what Peter is saying here. Right? He's talking about holiness and about peace. And then he says, listen guys, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Remember what he said in verse 9? 
He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter says, look, you wonder why the Lord is taking so long to fulfill his promises? Maybe you think the Lord is just slacking off. Maybe you think the Lord isn't serious about judgment. <clears throat> Maybe you think he isn't really paying attention or, or he just, you know, he just, you know, just kind of like whatever, a senile old man. But Peter says, look, his delaying in his coming, his delaying in his judgment is so that as many people as possible might be saved. And Peter is alluding to that verse here in verse 15. He says that the patience of the Lord is exercising and bringing forth his judgment, we can consider that salvation. And here's the heart of what he's saying. He says, imagine what would have happened if the Lord came back the day before you got saved. His patience. Right? Why... While we, we long for his imminent return, we, we also recognize that he has a divine plan. And he has a, a, a divine timetable that's set around the salvation of as many lost souls as possible. And so we need to understand that, that, that his not bringing judgment, his immediate return is delayed for the maximization of the salvation of souls. And he goes on. And he says, Just as our beloved Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Look, Peter says, I know that, that you all love Paul. I know that you all think that Paul is the cat's meow. Listen, Peter says, Paul is saying the same thing that I am saying. He and I agree on these things. <clears throat> and, and it isn't us that's saying them. It's, it's, the, it's the same Holy Spirit speaking through both of us, delivering the message to you. That's what Peter's saying. And look what he says in verse 16 again. Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does all, in all these letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Do you ever read some of the things that Paul writes? Say, wow, I have no idea what Paul just said. Right? There are some things, some deep theological issues that Paul touches on. You read them and say, wow, that's just, that's too heady for me. It's too much. I don't really get it. Well, guess what? You're in good company. Peter felt the same way. Peter says, some of the things that Paul writes, they're just, they're, they're tough to understand. It isn't just a, a translation issue. It isn't just because 
the, the original language didn't translate well into English or whatever. They're, they're tough topics. Dealing with issues like sovereignty and election and free will, it's tough stuff for us to wrap our minds around. And Peter says, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter says, and it's not just Paul's writings that they do this to, it's other scriptures as well. Some people use these, these tough topics when, they're all, when there isn't always crystal clarity to twist the scriptures and to manipulate the scriptures and, and, and to make the scriptures say what they want them to say. And he says these people are ignorant and unstable people. That word ignorant and the koine, it can also be just translated stupid. Right? Ignorant in our language usually means lacking knowledge, right? It doesn't necessarily mean stupid. But in the Greek, it can just mean stupid. Stupid people. And there's another word here, unstable. This word unstable is astrakitos. And this is an interesting word. It means, it's where we get the word asterisk from, by the way. It means pertaining to the tendency to change and waver one's views and attitudes. A tendency to change and waver one's views and attitudes. This is an interesting word because the root word for astrictos is strigix. And it means to make fast or to establish. And so our word here, astrictos, right? If you put A in front of a word, it changes the meaning, right? You take the word agnostic. Gnostic means knowledge. Agnostic means no knowledge, right? Somebody who's agnostic believes that we can't know if there's a God or not, right? A theist is somebody who believes in God. An atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. So this word astrictos, it means that there's no establishing, no making fast, right? The idea is a person who, who bounces from idea to idea, and, and opinion to opinion, and philosophy to philosophy, and, and doctrine to doctrine. A person who's unstable. Remember what Paul tells the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.14? says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. James says something similar in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith and not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Peter and Paul both are saying this, that people without a solid faith are unstable 
They're tossed about like a wave in a storm. They're double-minded. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Look what Peter writes in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, we were just talking about, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care that you don't lose your own stability. Now remember, Peter is wrapping up this letter here. And we've seen earlier that Peter knew that this is probably going to be the last letter that he wrote. He seems to know that his time on earth is about finished. And he probably knows that he's never going to be able to communicate with these people again. And so these are his last words to him. This is the last thing that he wants to impart to these people. He says, therefore, beloved, be aware. He says, you already know how people are going to be. You know what kind of people are going to come into the church. You know that people are going to come in and they're going to sow seeds of, of fear and doubt and confusion and false doctrine. Take care that you're not carried away by these things. We're in an unstable world, Peter says. Be careful not to lose your stability. It's good advice. But how do we do that? Look what our Lord says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus says, look, there's going to be two kinds of people. There's going to be people who build their house on a solid foundation, on a rock. And when the storms come, when the rain comes, when the wind comes, when the waves come, that house is going to be secure because it's built on a solid foundation. It's going to withstand the storm. He says there's going to be other people there's this other guy, and we don't know why, but he chose not to build his house on the rock. Maybe the rock was up on a hill, and he didn't want to carry the wood all the way up there. Maybe the bedrock was down below dirt, and he didn't want to have to take time to, to clear the earth away, to clear the, the world away. It was just too hard. It was too much work. So he didn't heed the words of Jesus. He built his house on the sand. And you know what? He had a great view. He had beachfront property. He was out sunbathing every day. But when the storm came, 
got washed away because there was no sure footing. You want a solid faith, Peter says? Build your foundation on the word of the Lord, on Jesus. And when hard times come, when storms come, you'll hold fast. Jesus will be an anchor for your soul. Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So Peter says this. Do you want to have a solid foundation? Do you want to be steady and unmoving in your faith? Look what he says in verse 18. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, do you want to grow? Study the Bible. Dig deep into it. Let the Bible, let the Word of God get a hold of you. Let me kind of close with this picture. You know, I used to frame houses. And when I framed, we'd roll up to the job site and then the foundation would already be done. The concrete work is already done and there's anchor bolts sticking up out of the foundation and there's all these big metal straps that are bent over but they're embedded into the foundation. And so the first thing we do is we get out the, um, the mud cell, the, the pressure-treated two-by-fours, and we drill holes in them and put them over the bolts and you bolt that wood down onto the foundation. And then you roll your joists and you start to build your walls, etc. And as soon as your walls are built, you take those straps that are embedded in the foundation, you fold them up, and you fill all the nail holes, and you're connecting the studs to the foundation. And then you roll your second floor joists and you build your second floor walls, and then you have all these other straps connecting the second floor to the first floor. And then you roll your trusses, and you have all these H1 and H2 clips, all these hurricane clips and A35s connecting the roof to the walls, which are connected to the first floor walls, which are connected to the foundation. Every step of the way, you're connecting and reconnecting the house back down to the foundation. Why? Because people found out that when earthquakes came or tornadoes came or hurricanes hit, the houses would shake and they would get knocked off of the foundations. Right? And, and this is the idea that, that Peter's communicating here. Right? There are, there are storms all around us. In fact, we're sort of in the middle of one right now, aren't we? I mean, it's nice weather outside. I'm speaking figuratively. Right? The, the wind is howling and and waves are crashing all around us. Is your house, your life, is it built on a solid foundation? Are you, are you tied in? Are you connected to Jesus? If not, you're going to get blown away. Your house is going to get blown away. And you know what? Maybe you've built your house. And it wasn't built on that foundation. You know what the good news is? You can retrofit it. Right? You can still get connected. You can still get set up on that good foundation. It's never too late. As we seek the Lord, 
as we study His Word, as we, as we walk with Him, as the people of God, as the church, as the body of Christ, as we walk in holiness with consistency, as we build our life in Him, He'll keep us. He'll connect us. And He'll guard our hearts and minds. And He'll give us that, that peace that surpasses all understanding. It's glorious, isn't it? It's good news in the midst of these trying times. So I encourage you, as you're just surrounded by uncertainty right now, and you're not sure what the future is going to look like, what the future holds, what you're going to do. Don't, don't focus on all that. Focus on Him. Dig down deep into the Word. Put your foundation in Christ, and He'll see you through these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for salvation. We thank you for your word, for your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that resides within us and encourages us and comforts us and keeps us. And we just pray for, for people who can't be here right now, Lord, people who are watching online, people who are struggling with fear and anxiety and panic, Lord, that you would remind them that you are still the Lord, that you still sit on the throne on high, Lord, and that you are in control of all things. You guard hearts and minds. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for coming.